G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. An engaging conversation ahead. I hope you can join in and be a part of it. Uh, It's a conversation that affects almost all of us. As you know, millions of Australian children and families love sport. They watch the AFL or the NRL. And then there's the cricket season, which is ahead of us. So some attention today to the fact that our favourite sports are saturated with alcohol advertising. Now, the concerns are that the saturation is so much that it's becoming impossible to know where the game ends and the alcohol marketing begins. Yet all the evidence shows that exposure to alcohol advertising is associated with young people drinking more and from an earlier age. This week on Wednesday, we'll see a significant call for an end to alcohol advertising in sport. Is it possible that Australia's favourite sports could give up alcohol advertising? Is it possible that our governments could assist offending codes to break their addiction of alcohol industry dollars? Well, the biggest challenge would be to inspire and ignite change across all the professional sporting codes and bring a better future for our kids. Now, this Wednesday in Victoria, there is an initiative by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education It's supported by health organisations across Australia to call for an end for alcohol advertising in sport. Let's get some insights today into what's happening nationally and, of course, those things that might be even more localised in Victoria. Shane Varco is Executive Director of Dalgano Institute. He's joining us to help make sense of the challenge. Shane, welcome back to 2020. Oh, thanks. Neil, good to be back talking with you and your listeners again. Shane, let's get a little bit of a focus on this meeting on Wednesday. It's going to be at the Glass House in Melbourne, and uh, a lot of people there and uh, even a whole bunch of sporting legends joining the ranks to call for an an end to alcohol advertising in sport. Yeah, look, it is a good initiative, and uh, the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education have been around a while, not as long as we have, but they have, and... uh, They've got some good resources available to them and they've been pushing this initiative along with a lot of their networks, which we are a part of because we're involved in various national peak bodies, including National um, uh, Action on Alcohol Alliance, who are also party to implementing this particular program. But the lead agency is fair and, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good event. We have seen a movement in uh, towards an exit from alcohol, uh, purely alcohol subsidy of sport advertising, in the last few years because of the push, but it's still holding on in areas that it doesn't need to. And that's why this uh, this national launch is a really concerted uh, politically and socially focused effort to, to bring that final shift out, uh, as other countries in the world have done so, including France, 
who did this decades ago. So we're, we're kind of a bit behind in this whole mechanism. Okay, you say France is well ahead of uh, nations like Australia. They've got an alcohol ban in place for sport. Do you know of any uh, evidence that there's been a, a, a you know a difference that's made in the lives of uh, people when it comes to children and and uh, their uptake of alcohol? Sure. When it comes to the sports space, there was uh, certainly the evidence that came out of uh, longitudinal studies that we, there was a, di- a reduction in certainly consumption of young people, and particularly bulk or binge consumption as well. So the, the data on that is, like, as I said, France did this, I believe, don't, you know, don't, I don't want to be misquoted here, but I believe about 20 odd years ago, they actually, maybe a bit earlier than that, they, so they really did see then the issue. And, and understanding the French have a, have a far less aggressive drinking culture than the Anglo-Saxon cultures tend to, the, the Australia, England, America, they tend to be a little bit more nuanced in that way they engage with alcohol and it's more seen as a condiment rather than a a, a meal on its own as as it would appear in Australia and England. So uh, they, they were a little bit more wise in the way they did that but they did note, notice that uh, their sports wanted to be healthy and they wanted to be promoting uh, healthier lifestyles and better activities and certainly having alcohol and part of that was uh, was not, a, not, was not an option, yeah. Let's talk about protecting Aussie kids here. Uh, Alcohol is a major contributor to the three leading causes of death among adolescents, uh, unintentional injuries, homicide and suicide. If we're talking about Aussie kids, we're talking about uh, kids and teenagers and all of those vulnerable age groups that are so susceptible to uptake of alcohol. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the concerns, we have seen a push since... uh, 2007, 2008, which was again a concerted effort across the board about the binge drinking culture and, and some of the acceptance or ex- yeah, acceptability around the idea that this is a normal Australian behaviour and certainly the last 10 years we've seen a consistent move away from this and alcohol advertising has been hit on the way through again the, the key issues that they want to engage against, uh, you know, I think there's a three P's there's placement, pricing and uh, promotion, yeah, they're the three keys that they could tend to, to drive consumption and sales of alcohol. So promotion and placement are really, really important issues when it comes to advertising and sport. And young people do subscribe to that. And when they see that and, and watch that, and particularly in some demographics in the community, young people will, will uh, associate with the, the brand, particularly the alcohol brand that may be supporting a club and or clubs that are involved. So again, those messaging models are very powerful and they do influence young, younger people more than um, most people know. In fact, longitudinal studies globally have shown that um, the advertising and marketing, alcohol marketing, uh, not just in sport but across the board, reduces the age at which young people start to drink and increases the likelihood that they will drink and increases the amount of alcohol they will consume at any given time. So you've got a trifecta there as well. So that's a concern. And once you get one of that, those missives out of the culture, out of the, well, the consistent culture, at least in that space, and there's others to work on, which we can talk about later if we need to, but getting out of that public arena space, sporting space, and disconnecting alcohol from sport-healthy, active, you know, good sport is a great step forward. So young people have got another message in place saying, well, okay, this is not part of the, the, the narrative of my sporting life. 
Okay, let's talk about this association alcohol with sport because as adults we know that when you think of your favourite sporting teams and you might be thinking AFL, you might be thinking NRL, uh, you'll be thinking of that particular brand of alcohol that is associated with them. Uh, The idea that our children are growing up in a culture, and of course the alcohol industry has this culture uh, well and truly uh, with great momentum, uh, you know, passing on from generation to generation, this idea of breaking the association of alcohol with sport, uh, unless you can do that, and of course this is a major, major challenge, but unless you can do that, uh, you aren't going to protect this next generation, are you? Well, certainly it's, it's one of the key elements, and that's why I think uh, there's been this national push. We have seen changes, and as I said again, I'm repeating myself, but it's important that we do understand we are seeing progress. So it's not like we're in crisis and we have to change it, but we certainly uh, are needing to break this nexus between the two, and I think that's why this concerted effort specifically this campaign uh, on Wednesday, a national launch, which will continue to drive uh, sentiment around this policy more and more, is, is the idea that we need to get sport and alcohol completely separate from each other so that you know, we're not seeing this part of the issue. It's not just the... Uh, so some of the concerns around this is not just the binge drinking and, and the, the promotion of the product and the consumption, as I've mentioned previously, about the, the data on what happens when, when young people are exposed to these advertising, particularly in the sporting space. But we also seen that there's a lot of uh, alcohol-related games. And I hate to use that word games in the context because it just is such a misnomer. But during the State of Origin, as we saw earlier this year, between the Queensland, the, the great rivalry between Queensland and New South Wales, the, that night and the next day uh, of that event, we saw a family and domestic violence and assault charges in general go up considerably. Because people are, have their, they get passionate about their team, you know, the New South Wales or whatever it may be, or Queensland. The more they drink, the more passionate they become. They're playing games about who, you know, for example, someone scores a try, we have two shots, or those kind of ridiculous scenarios presented. Of course, once you get a uh, competitive environment with some sort of adversarial component and you throw alcohol in that mix, you know, it's just a shocking cocktail, pardon the pun. And as a result, yeah, you had quite significant spikes in violence. So again, you take the alcohol, alcohol advertising out of that, and not just the ads popping up on the screen, but more importantly, the association of team with brand, then all of a sudden that's going to, it's not going to end the drinking games, but it's certainly going to slow down those, those messages and associations which so quickly can escalate into, as we saw on that, um, that Origin night, some pretty nasty events taking place around the country. So, again, we want to see that nexus broken and, and young people really have a final and once and for all. I do with tobacco, basically. This is just a bad idea. This is just a bad idea all around. Let's, let's walk away from it. Shane, sometimes when you speak up, uh, when you've got a concern about uh, challenges to do with alcohol, or it could be anything, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, as you say, tobacco or uh, marijuana, as we've spoken about on this program before, there's this idea that if I do put my head up above the parapet, uh, you know, people will criticise me. They'll call me all sorts of names. They'll call me a wowser. There is a wowserism factor in the idea that you might speak up against uh, the alcohol industry against alcohol advertising, and uh, you sure. become the one who wants to throw cold water over uh, over the party day. Uh, yeah. There is a certain sense in which attitudes here are important for people who who might be the ones who'd support a campaign like this because uh, we don't want to be called wowsers, and yet we recognise that our children are at risk. 
Oh, for sure, Neil. And I think one of the issues that's really encouraging about the current climate around alcohol and alcohol advertising is that we are seeing significant declines in consumption. And as I said again, they're pushed back against the marketplace dominance of alcohol in the media. We're certainly seeing a lot less of that. And even with attempts from the alcohol industry to use their own lobby group, such as DrinkWise, to try and sanitise their messaging and sanitise their their uh, their promotion of their product, it hasn't really worked. And most people are now wise to that. And we're actually, again, our country's been here before, back in the uh, in the 50s and uh, the 40s, 50s and 60s, we were, we were very good with the alcohol and there wasn't the issues that we're having today. But, of course, we let alcohol off the chain in the late 60s and then in the, we completely went ridiculous in the late 90s. We decided to turn into nighttime economies, which was one of the most... And everybody, interestingly now, agrees, even those who were kind of initially the proponents of having nighttime economies, like licences going to all hours of the night, licences in every cafe, licences in every, you know, bodega, you know. So, so everywhere you went, you could, as long as you had food, you could have a drink. And that kind of... This is going to increase our economies. Now, what that did do, it did certainly increase the economies to a certain extent. But, of course, the other outcome was there. We saw an unleashing of this, this tsunami of alcohol promotion and alcohol availability, acceptability and accessibility. And, of course, advertising went with that. So what's happened since then, as I said, even earlier than that, through Deakin University, and particularly the work of Professor John Toombaru and his Communities of Care group, they did a longitudinal study between uh, Seattle and Australia. Uh, youth, young people, this is uh, one of the longest-running cohort studies going around about alcohol consumption and young people. And they, they looked at Seattle, what was happening in Seattle, Washington, and New South Wales, and, and the United States, and Australia. This is interesting. And they found that the, the young people back in the 80s in Australia were far more permissive with alcohol, and they were consuming more, and it was normalised. But now we're seeing that change. We're actually doing better than America now in that space according to this cohort, because there has been that consistent drive, particularly since sort of 2008 onwards, there's been a pushback. And now we know that education works. When we take it out into the marketplace and we have strong messaging about best practice, about the options moving forward, and we remove the incentives in the culture for consumption, such as advertising, we do see a shift. And so we want to see more and more of that because our young people are being targeted because every business knows if you want to be functioning or existing in, uh, in 50 years' time, you have to market to young people. And I'll tell you what, I won't go into it right now, but uh, Carling, the, one of the biggest brewers in the world, they set in motion a mechanism which is quite insidious a few, about a decade ago, uh, which actually looks at some of the most important anthropological realities that help us become better human beings, and they engage those principles to use their product create community which is, is scary as well and of course that's advertising on the uh, web now of course in social media that's another animal again but certainly pushing this out of sport uh, dampens down so many other issues that we're seeing evident in the culture at the moment life culture and current events from a biblical perspective 2020 on vision Inviting listeners to join our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Your thoughts on breaking the connection between alcohol advertising and sport, 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Shane Varco is our guest, Executive Director of Dalgano Institute. Shane, let's talk some really tough numbers here for a few moments because... 
in my understanding, alcohol harm is so significant, resulting in more than 5,500 lives lost and 157,000 hospitalizations each year in Australia. Uh, those are big numbers, and of course it's not all sport-related, but... Uh, alcohol advertising uh, has got to be uh, contributed to that. So uh, your thoughts on just the significance of the numbers? Absolutely. Look, it's it's disturbing, and they're kind of reflected in the World Health Organization's global report on alcohol, which came out last year, or late, well, actually this year, but it was regarding figures from last year. Like 15, as you said, Neil, 15 Australians every day die from alcohol-related concerns. And that's, that's disturbing. And globally, there's 3 million people Emily die every year as a result of alcohol-related issues. So everything from accident to disease to, to violence—it's—it's uh, it's just staggering the amount of loss. And that's—and that's kind of one of the reasons why we're seeing such a pushback. And of course, uh, this is an often forgotten one, which is now becoming more and more on the fore. And we've been certainly promoting this along with other in, international bodies of a like mind of ours. Is the sustainable? Um, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Sustainable Development Goals globally. There's 17 of those. And alcohol, alcohol itself, affects at least a dozen of those negatively. So we talk about Sustainable Development Goals for the world and the health and well-being of communities in certainly developing world and, and their capacity to become what they can be and how alcohol alone impacts over a dozen of those goals negatively. So those kind of figures, when you put those things in the mix, you've got a really concerning outcome that... That's certainly advertising, and we, as you said, rightly, we can't blame that all on alcohol advertising and sport, not by a long shot, but certainly alcohol advertising and the pernicious promotion of alcohol through social media particularly and the way that's done is certainly adding to that because we know that once you, that promotion, that pricing and that placement are really, really powerful mechanisms that, uh, that drive demand. So okay. pushing back against those is really important. And, of course, when you personalise it, you take away those global figures, oh, yeah, it's always someone else. But as I said before, when you bring that down to a personal home environment, when you have a guardian and or mum or dad or brother or sister or sibling who gets drunk and then gets aggressive and then goes off because of a sporting match and because of a, a drinking game, and all of a sudden that assault turns into hospitalisation or even tragically a death, then you've got a real concern in play. And those kind of stories are, 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 are not only tragic, they, they, they are the personification of waste. You know, we're talking about a, an event that happened over a sporting match while we're all getting smashed, to use the vernacular, and someone else got smashed as a result in the, the, the non-vernacular way and passed away as a result. So, you know, we want to try and break up that, and that's what FAIR and, and the rest of us are trying to do, break up that nexus so that we can minimise. Again, we will not eliminate that. No one's pretending we will, but we will certainly diminish that capacity for those harms to take place. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316 to contribute to our conversation today. You might have a question, you might have a comment. Let's take a call. Shelby is in Sunnybank Hills in Brisbane. Hello, Shelby. Welcome along. Hello, uh, Neil, Shane. Um, hey, Shelby. Hey, mate, look. I, I, I'm just uh, I'm really wrapped in what you're doing here and Neil having on the show to promote this because, mate, I was 15 and I worked it out very quickly that I didn't need to have a cigarette hanging out of my mouth to be tough. And also I worked out very quickly because I used to see my brother get so drunk, um, my older brother, I thought, well, that's a dead loss game. And, and, and I get really mad at television when I was watching a bit of The Great Race yesterday and... The advertising of alcohol, you know, all this um, 
uh, you know, drink responsible, gamble responsible. I can't believe it. How dumb yeah. is that? And they let them get away with it, you know? Shelby, good points you're making there. I mean, even the way they say these things in the advertising, it's almost like, you know, gamble responsibly. The encouragement to go and do some responsible gambling or drink responsibly, go and drink responsibly. Your thoughts, Shane, for Shelby? Yeah, Shelby, thanks for the, the insight. Again, it is it is mind-boggling when you look at some of the outcomes. And, of course, the argument of on the, the, the demo, democracy slash civil society slash uh, my rights to do what I want with my body slash kind of combination argument debate that goes on. And we have this all the time, with particularly with the pro-drug lobby. Uh, it's the idea that if I can do this without causing anyone else around me harm, and then again, you have to define what that harm may be. In other words, if I use alcohol and don't beat someone up, I'm a good guy. Well, you know, but are you destroying your liver? Are you uh, taking six days off from work because you're, you know, you're hungover? Are you, again, all those things are harms that are not considered. And they're also fair to their credit. Uh, the Foundation of Alcohol Research and Education, about three or four years ago, did a, a very, very extensive study on the cost of alcohol to the Australian community. And they, they figured it out annually. It cost us the harms from alcohol, the negative outcomes, about $36 billion dollars. In calms. Now, $11 billion of those were from unrelated direct harms like sick days or nuisance calls at night to police because of parties. Or So, again, $11 billion are harms caused by the consumption of alcohol, uh, the overconsumption of alcohol, that, that are not considered by the, the person who promotes the, the right to use as an issue, whereas clearly $11 billion is just staggering and costing. But I digress. So the, the issue is, though, we do have a country where, and, and to, if we're living in America, it's a lot more difficult because this is where the juxtapose is important. We do have the capacity to limit advertising, and we are. We do have the capacity to change the, 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 the laws around what's promoted and what's not promoted. But in America, once you, a product is legal and, and in play, the right to advertise, the right for speech, free, sp free speech, is very strong. So it's hard to limit alcohol advertising in the United States. Whereas here, we are able to do that. So it, it, whilst I concur with you from my sentiment and what I see happening and the harm's done, I, you know, we, we do live in a democratic society. We do have people have a choice to use a legal drug like alcohol. It's legal for those over the age of 18. And they are, over the age of 18, you are legally allowed to gamble, you know, whether we think that's a good idea or not. They are legal, uh, they are legal actions and legal practices that can be engaged in by individuals. And we, what we do, try and do in those spaces is educate us to the you know, best way to avoid the harms from that. Of course, the best way to avoid any harm from these is not engage, first and foremost. And of course, that's, that, that, that brings up the bad guy's term, the A word, abstinence, as if that was some sort of evil thing. Well, we consider that one in five Australians right now of drinking age are abstinent. They choose not to drink alcohol at all. That's 20% of the population. In fact, 21% of the population do not drink at all. So we are seeing a shift that's moved in the last 10 years. So where, again, we're seeing some changes, which is encouraging. Thank you so much to Shelby from Sunnybank Hills, about 90 seconds out from news. Uh, let me just ask you, uh, prohibition doesn't work on alcohol issues, but as you say, Shane, uh, some level of control over the promotion of alcohol has got to be a good thing for families, for children. Uh, this idea of control over the promotion, uh, people don't like the idea of control, but uh, if you're going to be 
collectivist in the way that you think about it and uh, want the best thing for your community, for your family, uh, you've got to make some sort of a, a decision here about how you exercise control. Is that what this meeting on Wednesday might be about? Oh, certainly. That's part of it, uh, by all means. The idea is that we need to minimise the amount of uh, you know, really provocative and, and uh, prolific promotion of a product. As we know, the more you see something, and it's, it's advertisers, that's why television exists. only reason television exists is for advertisers. You take advertising out, it basically doesn't exist unless you subscribe other ways by pay TV. So we know that advertising is important. So they need to leverage from that. And the more product you can sell, the more you move in your business. And so that's just the normal you know, the supply and demand. So the idea is to create an inordinate demand, and advertising is about creating an inordinate demand. Sadly, though, and I'll quickly finish this, the news is coming. Actually, we've only got 10 seconds. We'll have to without, pick up this line alcohol. of thought after the news. Addiction is the uh, line. Addiction back, is the line. we'll talk some more about addiction after Vision National News. Uh, we're talking through some of these issues with Shane Varco. He's Executive Director of Dalgano Institute. There is a website to point you to called greaterrisk.com and it especially focuses on alcohol and young people. Uh, Shane Varco, before we deepen our conversation uh, even further so far as this issue of alcohol, let's take another call, shall we? Bruce is on the line from Miles in Queensland. Hello, Bruce. Welcome along. Good morning, yeah, Bruce. G'day, guys. Um, I um, years ago when I done done Bible college, I done a study on alcoholism, and I went to um, Al Anon, which is you know basically Alcoholics Anonymous, and only it's a better better one. I had a video there from there called Prof and Bubbles. In that video, there was a guy that would have been shot in the head. He died, and they done an autopsy on him. When they took a slice of his brain. Not where the bullet went. They um, they found that the two lobes up the front of the brain, you know, above the ears, and you've got the lumps at the front where your brain, where your memory is, and um, they found those two lumps at the front were actually black as the ace of spades. So they went and done a study. They they went to talk to the friends and the family and the workmates and so forth. Well, what sort of a drinker was he? So um, it turns out. They, the report they got back was there was um, um, no no real drinking binge. There was occasional binges and occasional social drink with a guy, and it's typical of what actually happens over the uh, with a alcoholic person. The memory of things that happened when they were ten years old is very prevalent. They can remember that. They blow me down. They cannot find things they put down five minutes ago. They can't remember things that happened five minutes ago or three minutes ago. And it's really pertinent to your conversation today. Bruce... It is pertinent to the conversation. Let's bring Shane into this because, I mean, we haven't even gotten on to uh, physical effects of alcohol, as Bruce is describing here. Uh, we're talking about children and breaking that addiction uh, for advertising uh, that is, in fact, uh, you know, leading children uh, to uh, drink more and at a younger age. But uh, your thoughts for Bruce, and I know you love to talk about the sort of uh, the physiological effects of drugs and alcohol. Uh, your thoughts, Shane? Oh, look, the... the Thank you for that, Bruce. I appreciate that. Look, I, I don't know that particular study, and I don't know that particular outcome. That's uh, so I, I can't speak directly to that scenario. Certainly, the prefrontal cortex, uh, all parts of the brain, when alcohol is consumed 
from the hypothalamus, you know, which basically runs your, your automatic functions in your body to the prefrontal cortex, to the amygdala, the hippocampus, which all deal with short-term memory and emotional memory, are all impacted by consumption of alcohol and any other drug for that matter. So the level of impact and the degree of impact and the severity of impact vary from person to person. And it doesn't mean that you know, just because someone's affected less than someone else that makes it okay, just means that the damage varies from person to person. And I've worked closely with, uh, in fact, our DVD series we've got called I Wish I Never, which is a curriculum uh, for, for students and teachers, but also a, a full DVD set of interviews of clinicians, prison workers, doctors, psychologists, criminologists, uh, occupational therapists who've dealt with this. I remember one interview with occupational therapist in Melbourne after the Black Saturday fires. She was telling me that the every single person she was dealing with, just as an occupational therapist, not a, not a, a medica, not an ambo, every single one was alcohol-related because after the fires finished, everyone just stress and panic and relief. They just hit the booze. And, and said, she said it was just catastrophic. And she dealt with one client, similar to, might be similar to this gentleman's scenario. It was a gentleman who started drinking at the age, not as a teenager, but as a late 30s because of the death in the family that he couldn't cope with. And I understand that kind of grief and wanting to medicate that away. But he did it with alcohol. Uh, and within 12 months, he was under her occupational care, couldn't put two words together, and was completely debilitated. And that was in less than well, a 12-month period of heavy drinking. So this is a pretty full-on... And this is a legal drug, by the way, and this is, of course, one of the pro-drug, the illicit drug lobby you talk about. So, you know, exactly. Alcohol is a legal drug, and it is incredibly harmful on so many levels. And, you know, and that's, that's why we've got to be very careful, and particularly when we talk about young people's engagement with alcohol. We now know from early, early uptake that the impact on the amygdala and hippocampus, which is about short-term, long-term memory and emotional memory, is impacted quite heavily by this. And once that's damaged, your short-term memory gets damaged, your ability to learn things, because that's kind of like your RAM in your, in your brain, if you like to use it. That's where all your desktop is and all your data is, and you can access it when you want to, click, click, click. When that's messed up or shot to bits, you can't quickly access the things and your, and your capacity to, to remember quickly and well is diminished, and therefore your ability to learn and retain and store up into the larger part of the brain is also damaged. And I'm using very, very basic terms here. So we've got to be very careful, particularly with the developing brain, up to 25 for women and 28 for men. That's the developing brain. Uh, you know, abstinence from alcohol is the best practice. Thank you so much to Bruce from Miles for your insight today. And thanks for uh, calling in, telling us about that study, telling us about your story. Uh, when we talk about young people uh, drinking more from an earlier age, so while you talk about all of these bad scenarios, uh, if you were able to limit uh, this advertising, which encourages uh, young people to take up drinking more and at an earlier age, uh, I imagine that what you're talking about is generation change that will bring good things uh, to families and to children who are growing up and perhaps even the idea of dealing with their big challenges and crises without having to hit the bottle uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on the you know the way that advertising just uh, yep. has an effect on future generations well certainly i think you're right the culture shift is a part of an entire package of uh engagement you know, with, with the community. So certainly advertising and, again, promotion of consumption of alcohol, like celebratory, you know, promotions, you know, uh, you know, it, the, 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 the imagery that 
soon as something good happens, what do we do? We open a bottle of bubbly, or we it's like, is that what we're supposed to do? Is, is that is that the is, is, is that the response to a good time? Or we're at an event that something horrible has happened. We've had a hard day. We have to open a bottle of red wine to calm ourselves down, or we get stress. And of course, that's that latter one is now becoming the single biggest problem with the demographic, which is not the young so much, the 16 to 24 bracket, but it's now the the, the, the sort of 30 to 40 bracket, and particularly we're now seeing with um, mums, young mums, uh, and that's been a real concern. And of course, these 45 to 65 bracket of the so-called senior seasoned drinkers, which again they would have started back, you know, before this advertising was uh, dealt with, and before the the current culture of of slowing down our alcohol consumption and being a lot more circumspect about how we engage with alcohol back in the 60s and 70s when it was just a free-for-all. Because now in Australia, we have the lowest beer consumption we've had since the 1960s, which is quite remarkable. Our alcohol, our wine and spirit consumption has increased, but our beer consumption is the lowest in 60 years because there has been that pushback against that kind of, you know, having a blokey beer and getting smashed on beer. And so, But we haven't done that with, with wine or spirits because they haven't been as strong, uh, as big a affiliation with those two substances, but they are growing now. And now we're seeing with this um, middle-aged demographic and young mums, from all the data coming out, it's a real concern. And even Deakin University have commented on that recently, that fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, as we spoke last time, is again on the rise because the people are you know, dealing with stress with alcohol. And that's, and that's another big... So then when you have advertising, uh, promotional stress factors and inability to engage resiliently with the culture in that all of a sudden we look for self-medicating mechanisms that we believe will help us get through the day but in fact are only doing us damage and that our capacity to be resilient without the substance diminishes day by day so all of a sudden you've got this vicious circle which of course if we're not careful ends up in what they call a dependency or addiction base now that that sadly is the marketer's greatest win. Because addiction, there's a problem with alcohol and cigarettes and illicit drugs, is that once they're in the system, addiction drives demand like nothing else. And so an industry that traffics in addiction or potential for addiction is an industry that needs to be heavily monitored, particularly for young people. And I think that's the message that needs to get out to the community as well. Are you buying into an industry of addiction? And if you are, then you need to be very careful, not just for your sake, but for your kids' sake, because they're watching you and how you deal with life and how you deal with the issues of life. And your modelling is very important to them. And same with sports, why the sporting club thing, they're trying to shift that. And the way I've seen that shift is my sporting heroes love a beer when they drink. My sporting heroes, when they're feeling a bit sad, have a drink, it's okay, have a few drinks with the boys. Those kind of messaging models have to be removed as well, which is part of this mechanism that's sorry, this campaign that's been put in play. Let's talk some more about the campaign about Wednesday and about monitoring here because uh, the initiative on Wednesday uh, put together by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education, uh, clearly uh, Dalgano Institute is supporting that. Uh, We're talking about that today. But this idea of doing something that will bring about some sort of change, uh, the idea of, you mentioned, uh, Shane, who's monitoring all of this, as I understand it, uh, alcohol advertising across Australia is predominantly self-regulated. So in order to actually bring any sort of worthwhile change, there had to be, there need to be some sort of change in the, on the, on the, uh, the idea of who monitors this, who regulates this. Uh, what are your thoughts on regulation? 
Oh, look, I think I think that's that's a key issue, and of course, uh, we know education and legislation work better together to shift culture than education alone. Of course, those selling a product, particularly an addictive product, they want their users to consume more of their product, which is understand the business model, consumption, supply, demand. Uh, they want every limitation to their capacity to promote their product removed. That's normal from a marketing slash business model perspective. But when you're talking about products that can do internal and external harms to the individual then we need to have regulatory frameworks in play that enable us to be better monitor that to prevent, you know, be a little bit more preemptive about preventing harms before they actually occur. A lot of the stuff we're doing at the moment is being catch-up. Again, as I mentioned earlier, up until the 1960s, we had a pretty strong uh, reign on uh, alcohol consumption and, and its impact, the deleterious impact on the community uh, for quite a while. But then they changed from 6 o'clock closing to 10 o'clock closing, and then I said the new ISIN report in the 1990s said, oh, let's unleash the whole thing for everybody. And that's what the chaos ensued. And now every group that's supported that initial a new ISIN report of nighttime economies have kind of backed off from that and gone, gee, that was a mistake. And we've argued, because our organisation's been around 150 years, we've seen all this before in our history. We've seen all these. When the community decides it's, you know, it's going to let everything off the leash because we're all grown-ups and we can handle this, and then it creates an absolute mess because when you put particularly addictive substances and psyche changing substances in your body your behaviors and your reasoning and your rationale and your conduct all change with it so you know you all of a sudden you have this responsibility dynamics out the window and all everyone goes oh heck we've, we're out of control we need to bring this back under control then we start to, to do catch-up regulation which is what we're doing now in the last 10-15 years we're doing catch-up again trying to to lasso this thing and rein it back in again to, to a, a more manageable level because we've seen the harms from it so again Again, I get back to the point. Regulation and education together are going to shift your culture. So having a regulatory body in play that actually facilitates changes to what can or cannot be seen is really important in this space. Self-regulation isn't working. There has been some twists and uh, sorry, um, tweaks on this. So you'll see not a lot of alcohol advertising under 8.30 at night. But yeah, it is still... You know, the online stuff is, is still out of control, which is another whole arena... That's pretty much unregulated, and uh, kids are joining up Facebook pages that are basically alcohol-responsive communities. So that's another another conversation. Well, another day, this is yeah. this is an important element, isn't it? Because yeah. while we're talking about alcohol advertising, and uh, you know, predominantly self-regulated by uh, those advertisers, uh, there is a sense in which, when we're talking about mass media, we're leaving out what is today uh, one of those significant developments, of course, and that is, uh, you know, advertising on the internet. Uh, it's a huge, huge issue. And as you talk about uh, Facebook and uh, various other platforms, there, uh, no regulation at all e- exists there. So, would if there was to be a new regulator uh, of uh, alcohol advertising, would they need to have some sort of powers to uh, regulate uh, what? happens online as well well clearly that has to be the case but of course online is such a such a maelstrom to try and rein in and but it can be done obviously with a lot of work but again the idea is not just necessarily going oh here's for example you know an alcohol brand let's i'm not going to name the brands so i'm going to give them that, that credit a particular booze you know booze a uh what they do, don't say come and drink this product they say hey guys you want to be part of a community you want to be part of the in crowd, you want to be part of the set, you want to enjoy connecting with others, you want to be in a really great place of community and well-being, join this Facebook page, sign up here. 
and they'll have some sort of link. Then at the bottom of that link, they'll say it must be over eighteen, right? And of course, if it gets clicky, over over eighteen, and it's a alcohol brand specifically. Now we know now from the data, forty eight point six percent recognise that joining a Facebook group from an alcohol product was forty eight percent realised it was a marketing exercise. So half the kids who join these Facebook groups don't even realise it's marketing. They think it's actually something really really important. Only 50% recognise sponsorship of sports team shirts and alcohol marketing, right? This is data, direct data from the... Were, were actually advertising. They thought it was just a good part of lifestyle choices. So, again, we, we need to shift that perception up to 80 90%. So everybody knows, that no, no, this is not a lifestyle choice. This is a branding and marketing exercise to get you to use a product that's actually going to has the potential, has the potential to addict you and make you a lifelong consumer to your detriment, not the company's. And so they're the kind of me- the, the, that's, that kind of nexus has to be broken as well. So we really, again, this fair launch on Wednesday is part of that initiative to really break in upon that space. But also, as you said, Neil, we need to get into the social media arena and really enlighten kids and put caveats around these websites saying, you realise that this is a branding exercise for an alcohol company which doesn't give a stuff about your well-being, only wants you to drink their product, just... Yeah, engage. So, yeah, that's kind of raw, raw, pardon the vernacular, raw messaging needs to be implied to make it clear for the uninformed or the tragically, willfully ignorant that, yeah, this is not a good space to be in. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Shane Varco from Dalgano Institute is with us. Shane, the meeting on Wednesday at the Glass House in Victoria. Can Victorians go along to that meeting? They can. Look, there is tickets available if you go to fair.com.au, sorry, .org.au and, and click on the End Alcohol Advertising in Sport uh, launch. I think tickets are still available there, but you need a ticket to get in. It is free. There's no cost. Uh, but they do need, they want to ticket the event, so they they've got an idea who's coming for catering purposes. So okay. I encourage people to do get online and do that if they can make themselves available on uh, on uh, Wednesday. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. The other thing specifically, uh, we've got a summer of cricket ahead of us. Uh, we won't uh, assume that there's going to be any major change that happens instantly after a great meeting this coming Wednesday. Uh, there's processes and uh, probably elections and all sorts of campaigning uh, that would go on before any sort of change like this would happen. But for parents, Shane, uh, what a, a tip or two on why it's so important to protect your children because of this uh, this very blatant uh, advertising uh, blitz that happens every time there's a sports match on. Sure. But I think the conversations are really important. You don't have to be come across like some sort of, you know, killjoy. And I, as I, before you talked about the word wowza, which I think we've mentioned previously, actually is an acrostic that stands for we only want social evils rectified. So I'm a, I want social evils, evils rectified, so I'm a wowser, but we'll move on. But I think the conversation's really important. Just be really, really open and direct with your kids. Don't go to a, a sermonising moment and say, you guys, you realise what this is all about, don't you? This is all about pushing a product to get you to consume, and it's unfortunately at your age, consumption of this is going to be dangerous. We just encourage you not to do that. In fact, under the age of 18, it's a no-go. But even at 18, just careful how you engage with this, but also modelling. So when if you're, if you're a drinker at home, if you have the occasional drink or... Uh, you know, and having a, having a drink with every meal, bad idea. You should have at least three to four days a week alcohol-free, at least three to four days. 
no, having having uh, patterns that are in play that are constantly modelling. When you when you're stressed, you have a drink, or even have a every time you've got a headache. So as soon as you got a headache, you go straight for the Panadols or whatever it is you use. Uh, again, those are the models that kids pick up on. You say, well, now have a glass of water. Sit down, have it. Close your eyes for a bit. Having a meal, simple things like this, getting away from just trying to stop kids from doing the wrong thing. Things like having a meal together as a family three to four times a week together at a table, not in front of the TV, with all devices off. Phones, mobiles, iPads, television, everything shut off. That The data from the, the evidence around this is quite staggering. Three to four times a week is one of the best uh, demand-reducing exercises you can have and also building resiliency in your kids around that product. And finally, of course, um, be open and honest about the fact that you know, Alcohol is a, is a toxin. It's, an, it's ethanol. It, is, it has the same carcinogenic rating as asbestos, which is pretty scary when you think about it. Um, and so let's, let's have that conversation. It's not about saying, oh, if you drink alcohol, you're drinking you know, asbestos. It's saying, guys, we need to be really careful with this stuff. Even though it's legal and it's promoted and it's socially acceptable, it doesn't mean it's a good thing. We need to be incredibly careful around that. And, of course, you know, we've got to be careful of prohibition messages. Of course, there's no... Uh, you know, thou shalt not, if you like, those terms that people use. And we've got to be careful about that. But best practice, particularly for the developing brain, is abstinence. It's no uptake. So at least to the age of 21, if not 25, it's the best thing to do is not to engage. And teaching young people that there are better options than this in the first place are very important. Okay. Well, Shane Varco, great getting your insights. Uh, it's sobering, uh, to use that uh, terminology, <laughs> yeah. uh, to hear some of these things that we've been talking about over this past hour. And I know parents in particular will be appreciative of uh, great wisdom, great insight today. Shane Varco, Executive Director of Dalgano Institute. Let me give you that website uh, one more time, greaterrisk.com. There's also a website for Dalgano Institute, dalganoinstitute.org.au. Shane, thanks for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. Absolutely my pleasure, and thank you again. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.